Welcome back to another episode of the Desi VC podcast, guys. I'm your host Akash Bhat, and this is a show where we speak to leading investors investing in tech startups in India. Today, we're talking about cross-border investments, and to elaborate on that topic, I have with me Piyush Puri. Piyush is the vice president at Brand Capital International here in the Silicon Valley, the strategic investment arm of the Times Group, India's largest multimedia conglomerate. Before leading Brand Capital's U.S. office, Piyush was an investment banker in Mumbai, focusing on investments in the energy sector. I'm really honored to have him here with me today. And without further ado, let's jump into the episode and listen to Piyush and what he has to offer us about cross-border investments and Brand Capital International. Hi, Piyush. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you here today. We are recording this on a beautiful and sunny Tuesday afternoon in San Francisco, where we have all continued to work from home. So first of all, I want to find out how are you doing and how are you dealing with the new changes to the work situation? Thank you, Akash. And it's, it's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me and having a conversation with me here. Uh, so, I mean, as everybody else says, we've been hunkering down, staying at home for the last two months now and uh, while the weather in San Francisco uh, in the Bay Area uh, is now very nice I think uh, we have all realized that probably this is going to be the new normal for the next few months and therefore everybody is now found a way to to adjust and make changes so I think uh, interesting times nothing that any of us has experienced before uh, much remains to be seen as, as to what happens in, in the upcoming months but uh, still, still uh, keeping my fingers crossed and hoping that all of this is behind us very soon and we go back to the way things used to be. Absolutely. And I, for one, have been getting an extra hour of sleep in the morning and I'm not complaining too much. So uh, that's in fact, <laughs> yes. boosting my producti- productivity levels. I'm not sure how other people are uh, thinking about it. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, enough about me. Let's talk more about you. I'm really excited about our chat today for a number of reasons. We've been sharing a lot of deals with one another over the last few months. And it's good to sit down with you and talk about investments and venture capital in the India context as such. One of the things that we'll be touching upon in this episode is the structure at Brand Capital International, which is very, very similar to ours here at Scrum. Uh, we'll get to that in a few minutes, but let's begin with your journey. Tell us about your yourself and highlight a few events that kind of led you to where you are today. Right, right. Sure, sure. You know, as, as many of us uh, from India are, I also happen to be an engineer, uh, followed up with an MBA. And uh, the first stop for me was working with India's largest investment bank, uh, SBI Capital Markets. And while I didn't work with them for too long, I feel uh, that was probably a period of, you know, extremely high learning for me. Uh, the, the kind of uh, atmosphere that you have, the kind of access you have being the largest bank in India, I felt uh, what I learned during my tenure at SLA Capital Markets uh, really helped me chart out what I want to do uh, subsequently, which is when I joined uh, a large power company in uh, Hong Kong called China Light and Power. They are the largest power producers in Hong Kong uh, and are also owners of large uh, power projects in Australia, in China, and parts of Southeast Asia, and subsequently in India as well. 
so I started working uh, in the investment team with uh, China Light and Power. I had the opportunity of working on deals, uh, uh, you know, between Asia Pacific and uh, uh, Hong Kong, uh, China and India market. And, and for me, that was the first uh, foray into the mergers and acquisition space, really, which is where I started working with companies on our operating level and, and started looking for benchmarks and metrics that really helped me determine what's going to work and not work, uh, you know, for a power producer, let's say like CLP in the long run. Uh, that was a few years with China Light and Power. And after that, I joined the science group, which is where I'm currently working. Uh, I currently lead uh, the investment arm of the group in the US, uh, the strategic investment arm called Brand Capital. And uh, I joined Times Group uh, for the brand that it is. Uh, you know, everybody in India knows uh, Times Group. They've had some association with a, with a group in the past. And uh, I, I felt that the value that Times Group brings to the table, to the consumer in India, if I can add to that, uh, I would feel, uh, you know, that I've made some, some impact. So uh, with that, we started Brand Capital International in 2015. The idea of having Brand Capital International was to essentially look for companies looking for, uh, to expand from the U.S. market into the Indian market and essentially helping them along the way. And uh, we, I, I think, uh, or at least I'd like to believe that we've had a successful first few years. Uh, we made around 15 odd investments during this time, many of whom have successfully launched in India now. Yeah, so that's that's a little bit about uh, my journey so far. That's a wonderful journey. I just want to touch upon the last bit that you mentioned there. How do you guys help startups scale to India? Could you talk to us a little bit more about that? Sure, sure. As you probably know, Times Group is a 180-year-old organization. And during this time, uh, the, the group has been able to uh, build significant media assets. Uh, these are assets that you have in print, uh, in television, in digital, outdoor, radio, and many more media properties. And in each one of these, it has a very unique position. It's either the market leader or in, in many scenarios, it's, it's just below the market leader if it's a market that we've just entered in. So what that affords Times Group is an ability to touch many consumers across different socioeconomic uh, levels. And that allows brand capital to uniquely position a company in front of the consumers that it's looking for. So what we started in 2003 essentially is by using our media capital, we started looking for investments in organizations who wanted to reach out to their consumer essentially. And what started with a few companies by 2015 turned into a pretty large diversified uh, asset base for us. Uh, during that time, we made investments in over 900 companies invested over $4 billion in media assets and, and several of the very successful names that you hear of in the Indian startup ecosystem happen to be in that portfolio companies like Flipkart, Big Basket, uh, and you know, many, many others, Topper, Baiju, etc. So, so that's essentially the brand capital model as it existed in India. Now, we felt that there was another need gap we can uh, fill, which is essentially of companies looking to expand from international markets into the Indian market and companies who are having trouble doing so on, you know, on their own companies like Uber, Airbnb, they were looking to expand into India, but they were having trouble, uh, regulatory issues, issues with understanding the local markets uh, and so on and so forth. So what we thought is we can come in and use the expertise that the Times Group has uh, to essentially help these companies 
get a soft landing into the Indian market. And we started looking for opportunities in growth stage and later stage companies so that we can help these companies kind of handhold them through the complex labyrinth of India and in this process essentially build value with the company. So that's essentially the business model uh, that we have here in the US. We look for companies which we understand can do well in the Indian market and where we can add significant value in their expansion into India. And then we invest in those companies uh, using our media assets. And, and so far, like I said, uh, we've had some good instances of companies uh, expanding into India, like Square Panda is a recent launch we've had. Uh, it's a company in the space of uh, EdTech. And, and they're having a pretty good run uh, right now in India since the, since the launch a month ago. That's amazing. That's really, really interesting how you guys are positioned to leverage your existing assets and really help companies scale to India. Now, everyone talks about the India opportunity, right? 1.3 billion people, fastest growing middle class, rapid urbanization, and a million other statistics that you know, people can put together. In fact, uh, very recently, I read a report that said Q1 funding for Indian startups grew by 14%, while the rest of the world is down by 15 Right. So I'm not going to really talk about what's attractive about India to startups because a lot of people really know about it. On the contrary, what do you think startups get wrong when they think about the India opportunity? Where is the knowledge gap in understanding a complex market such as ours? Right, right, right. Uh, that's, a, that's a very good question. And, and it's a question that I have often pondered about with the founders that I speak to. Uh, because for most people, when they think of India, they obviously start thinking of numbers. So they think, you know, it's going to be through economies of scale, through vast numbers that they're going to be able to essentially uh, break even or generate a profit for the product or the service that they have in the Indian market. And all of them happen to assume that, you know, they, they can't charge a similar price uh, as to what they're charging in, in the markets in the West. Uh, so what we tell our companies, the companies that we work with, is that the perception that India is this one large unit of 1.3 billion people, and that's what we're addressing, that is wrong. That's, that's wrong to begin with. Because India is not really 1.3 billion people. You can divide those people into many subcategories and then start targeting your product at these people, or, or rather figure out whether or not that product even belongs to a large, you know, large number of categories within the subcategories. Now, now, that I, now that you've figured out what subcategory within this large population of 1.3 billion people is the one that you want to target, it is at this point that you need to start thinking about your pricing strategy. And it's in some instances going to be exactly the same as you have for your Western audiences. So the point that we try to make to them is that for you to understand India as a market, really have to dig deeper and understand what's the target group within that large market that you want to address. And that could only be 10 million people. But that 10 million people can justify an expansion into the Indian market as well. So that, I think, is one of the biggest mistakes I have come across uh, people making. They think India is only a game of quantity and numbers. Uh, and essentially, therefore, generating economies of scale as well as charging a low unit uh, price for the product. Uh, that doesn't apply in most of the instances that we work with. Now, I'm really curious to understand this. Do, how does the investments at BCI work? Do you look at a company and then say, hey, you guys are a good fit for India and these are some of the reasons why we feel you guys would be successful in the country? 
or is it the other way around where the startups are, you know, they've got some, they've got product market fit here. They've got some traction. They're looking to expand globally. And then they come to you guys and say, Hey, we see what you're doing. Um, is that a possible synergy where we can work together and you can help us expand into the country? So how do the investments usually take place at your place? I think we've had instances of both, uh, but I would say a majority of our investments has been, uh, you know, the former and not the latter. Uh, and that's owing to the fact that we've only been in this market for the last four years now. So it's only recently that people know or have started finding out about us. But our strategy so far, is, as far as business development and you know, finding good uh, companies is concerned, is uh, we essentially look at certain sectors that we know uh, either have been doing well or are going to do well in India in the near future. And within those categories, we start, categories we start looking at leaders in their respective markets right now. Our investment thesis requires the companies to have some revenue traction in their existing uh, markets. And therefore, we, we try and look at category leaders or you know, second or third rank there in, in that category. Uh, we start talking to them, uh, understand whether or not India lies on their roadmap. And if it does, then we start com- coming in with you know, numbers that can help them understand the total addressable market in India. So we've, while we've had instances of companies reaching out to us and saying, hey, you know what, India is now on our roadmap. Can you help us expand into the Indian market? Uh, more often than not, we, we have found the companies uh, that we have in our portfolio right now. Also, because if you, if you look at our investment thesis, it happens to be very specific. It's a, it's a very niche, certain uh, you know, uh, sector and category of companies that we're looking at. And our investment is predicated uh, on the fact that the company needs to expand into India. So with all of this, it's often search rather than discovery, I would say. Pretty interesting. Now, let me extend that question a little further. And you might often hear this from you know, a lot of startups and experts in the industry who talk about the lack of domestic capital for Indian companies. We speak about the Indian opportunity for outside startups. What, in your opinion, are sectors that are the fastest growing? And how are outside startups better placed to tackle them than incumbent founders or startups in India? That's a good question, Akash. I, I think. Uh... What we have witnessed in the recent past uh, is there are a few sectors that have clearly dominated the space uh, and, and have also made uh, you know, uh, more headlines uh, owing to the fact that there's been a tremendous increase in the scope of that space. So uh, the first one, uh, an obvious one being education or ed tech. Uh, and Specifically for EdTech, what's, what's really helped is that we've had homegrown companies like Baiju's and Toppers who've done really well and have been sweethearts of investors in the recent past. That uh, has obviously led to a lot of interest in markets outside of India as well, uh, you know, in terms of capturing that market in India. So, so education, therefore, is a sector that we've also been focusing on a lot. The reason why we feel education um, the companies in the US to a certain extent have an edge over the companies in India is because of the sheer uh, access to, you know, some of the other partners that they can have in these markets. Uh, For example, uh, we're working with a company called Kano. Uh, Now Kano has, uh, it's it's essentially a a DIY computer kit for kids that also helps them learn coding. Now for Kano, it's been 
of course, a lot of effort, but at the end of that effort, they've been able to tie up with the Microsoft, you know, tie up with the Warner Brother and a number of other such partners that brings them great content. And therefore, the ability to have that content packaged with some other amazing brand names just gives these companies an edge over some of the players in India. That's, that's one. Uh, I'll take a second instance of another uh, sector that we have focused on a lot in the recent past uh, uh, in fantasy sports. You know, uh, what, what we've witnessed in fantasy sports, of course, uh, in India, there, there has been one very successful company who's now a unicorn, Dream11. But outside of that, there wasn't much progress that was made in the space in India until recently. In large parts also owing to a lack of uh, clarity in terms of the legality. Of, of fantasy sports and esports in India. However, at the same time, uh, you know, companies in the same space in US and other Western markets are you know, growing leaps and bounds. So these companies already have an edge in terms of understanding the user, in terms of building the tech, in terms of having a platform which is easily uh, you know, suited for other sports or other geographies. They have that. So because of that, it's easier for these companies to enter into a, a space uh, like the Indian market right now, which is just about beginning to uh, grow, if, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. I mean, we've looked at fantasy or when we talk about even micro-mobility for that matter, it's only very recently that Japan had regulations and laws uh, around micro-mobility for, for transportation. So we, we recently invested in a company uh, about six months ago, but when we invested in the company, we were not even really sure if the government and the regulations will really open up. But it definitely felt like an opportunity because we saw a global trend and how different countries across the world were trying to ease regulations and put in new laws in place to really let an ecosystem develop. And I think very similarly for India as well, um, regulators, government stakeholders, everybody's looking at industries and sectors across the globe that have been expanding and, 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 and rather got a lot of tailwind, not just during the pandemic, but elsewhere as well. Fantasy has yes. to be one of those. Yes, yes, now, absolutely. From, from a, I, I spoke to you about the Japan context and perhaps not the best example here because it's not a huge market such as India in terms of numbers on the B2C side. And you previously mentioned that you've invested in Baiju's of the world. Is the opportunity there for market expansion for a startup that you've invested in or is it more on the acquisition side? you know, where you're bringing a, an external company into India and if they're able to like do well, some of your other portfolio companies can look at them for acquisition. So I'd say more uh, cases than not, it's the latter. In all instances where we've, or in most instances where we've expanded, we've taken a company into India. It's essentially to capture the Indian market because we feel that there is, uh, you know, potential. Uh, there is uh, a large addressable market that we can capture. And, uh, uh, the, the focus has been to drive revenue so far. Uh, in some instances, it is possible for there to be a synergy between an existing, let's say, large tech company like Baiju's and another one of our portfolio companies in tech space that we expanded in India. If it does well, it is possible at some point for there you know, to be a marriage between the two. But that's not the intent with which we expand and take these companies to India. The effort is always to capture the Indian audience, uh, essentially. So how do you end up measuring the success of your portfolio once you've helped them expand to India? What are some of the metrics that are very important to you when you're assessing them maybe for, a, for the next round of investment? I would say there are a few metrics uh, that we look at. However, in, in most of these companies' cases, it, it depends upon the product 
of course. So, uh, for example, if you're talking about a company like Square Panda, right? Now, uh, our company, let's take a more generic example of a company which, company which is in the edtech space. The idea, of course, there is to get some initial user traction, just, just have a certain uh, MAU, DAU uh, figure in mind and try and achieve that uh, within a certain time period. But at the same time, over, over a two to three year horizon, also start looking at uh, EBITDA and revenue figures. So for us, uh, like I said, when you asked me the previous question, the idea is always to get to uh, generating revenues and then soon after getting to an EBITDA positive state. I think uh, if, I mean, of course, there are all the other metrics that you look at from a standpoint of user growth, user acquisition. Uh, at the end of the day, EBITDA positive and how fast can we get there uh, uh, is, of course, what's most important for us. Very interesting. Now, let me flip that question. How does your portfolio measure the success when it comes to their relationship with you? That's a good question. I think uh, for many companies, the, the reason, and we've often thought about, you know, what is the strongest proposition uh, of our own uh, offering? What is it that brand capital really brings to the table? I feel for companies, it is the fact that one of India's largest media group is tying up with the company to help them expand into India. So there is, of course, the brand halo that comes with Times Group being, you know, a strategic investor partner, but also the, the might of Times Group's network in India. And I feel that's what the companies are often looking for. They maybe can expand into Indian markets on their own. They probably can, you know, find ways of reaching out to consumers. But all of that would be with a lot more friction if they were to do that on their own. So for us, I think what's most important is the experience that the company has in their ex uh, expansion effort. Uh, the, the way companies have measured this is how quickly are they able to get their businesses off ground in India? How much effort does it require for the founder? Because in all instances, these are founders who already have another market, which is their primary market to focus on. How much of the founder's time is spent on expanding into a new market like India? And does it distract the founder from looking at, you know, the primary market, making sure that's intact while they expand into the new market? So I think uh, from the company's perspective, if I was, you know, in the shoes, I would want to know uh, the risk reward ratio, but also at the same time, the ROI uh, that I would have if I was to start putting in my time into an India expansion. And therefore, how much can, rely, how much can I rely on? Uh, partner uh, to expand into India. What all can it help me with? Is it just media? Is it, you know, uh, just uh, some introductions? Or how far beyond the call of duty can Times Group go to help me uh, make sure I'm successful in India? Right. I think a follow-up to that would be, and I think a lot of companies here in the US as well as elsewhere who are listening to this episode might want to also know about What's the right time for these companies to speak to you? When should they reach out to you? What, you know, what are some of the metrics that they should initially hit before right. they start thinking about going global or even having that first conversation with Brand Capital International? So when, when we come across companies uh, and uh, you know, we start talking to them about our investment thesis, uh, what we say is that, of course, it goes without saying India needs to be on the roadmap with the next six to 12 months. 
but at the same time, it's important for you to have proven your business model, have had some revenue traction in your existing market. And that always brings us to a stage of companies which happens to be, you know, a series A plus a growth stage kind of a company. Uh, so what's, what's very important for, for the company to figure out is whether or not they have already been successful in the existing market. Uh, one. Second, uh, if they feel that an expansion into the Indian market is going to be very capital intensive, we often discourage the company from taking that step right now because we feel uh, that will be a very significant drain on resources and can have a significant impact on the uh, primary market the company is currently focusing on. Uh, so low capital investment, uh, some revenue traction. And, and lastly, I would say the company should have uh, you know, should in, in their mind dedicate a certain amount of resources to India as well and be willing to hire people for a market like India uh, where feet on the street is extremely important. Uh, the, these are the three considerations uh, that we generally tell the company to pay attention to. And if, if the answer to each one of these is, uh, you know, positive in terms of that they can do it and can expand into India, then, then we move forward with our investment committee process. So is having feet on street extremely important? Like, have you seen some of your portfolio companies who have not maybe hired people locally to drive some of their operations or the strategy up front? Can they do so by being remote, especially in today's world when, you know, we're looking at a lot more people who are trying to be remote and trying to execute their strategy. I have met a lot of companies who are based in India but have a global product, but don't really have presence outside of India as such, but they're right. developing these products. Have you seen that kind of a strategy work for some of our portfolio companies or would you recommend most of these companies once they have taken investment from you to set up shop or at least have one or two people who are driving strategy on ground? Yeah. I mean, so that is our recommendation. However, I mean, if, this question, if you had asked me this question four months ago, Akash, I would have said, yes, I, I would rather that they have feet on the street than not. Now, uh, what we've seen is that in some instances, it is possible to not have feet on the street, you know, people on the ground and still uh, be able to generate business and revenue uh, for the company. But the, the reason why we say that is because Indian market works very differently from how, um, you know, a European or a US market would work. And the sales process is also somewhat different in India. So it's important to have local people who can talk the same language and uh, essentially, you know, uh, drive the business on ground. It also helps us make sure that the companies have a focus on the Indian market and, and it's not just an effort on the, you know, uh, something that, that they are hoping will work out uh, in the due course of time. So uh, until about a few months ago, I would have said yes. Now, I think this is, this is a question that maybe three months down the line, I would also want to find an answer to again and see whether or not it can actually work without any, any feet on the street. Because we are getting some positive results from a couple of companies who are in India. There isn't essentially any feet on the street, but at the same time, uh, the business hasn't taken much of it. Interesting. Now, given that we're all in this pandemic situation, how do you manage or think about communications with your LP? And your LP in this case is Times Group. It's not like traditional outside investors where you have to go and report to every one of, one of them, letting them know about the fund performance. What are some of the conversations you guys are having internally about how the pandemic has affected 
the way that you're going about with investments, how are you thinking about thesis development and everything else on the roadmap for the next, say, 18 to 24 months? So I think we see both opportunities as well as challenges uh, in the current scenario. The challenges, of course, are from a standpoint of uh, generating, you know, exits uh, in the investments that we've made. And uh, it it remains to be seen how the market uh, will change over the next few months. But uh, overall, of course, uh, we are seeing less venture capital activity than we were uh, until recently. And and because of that, there's, of course, the question of liquidity for some of our own portfolio companies. Uh, So while everybody's hoping all of this you know comes back to normal very very soon if that wasn't to happen which of our companies uh you know how will our companies fare in a scenario like that uh i think so that's that's one important consideration and something that we're uh keeping an eye out for uh i think the second point is are there are there opportunities to consider are there investments to consider uh, are there, or rather, are there spaces to consider where we should invest? Uh, and should we accelerate some of our efforts in certain spaces? And should we, uh, you know, in some instances, take a pause on certain sectors and figure out how that's going to change over the next few months? So it's also become more, our, while our investment thesis is being sector agnostic, uh, we are putting more emphasis on certain sectors over others during this time. And we want to see how, how that plays out as well over the next few months. And I think the last consideration and something that's obviously very important is to uh, make sure that we keep supporting our existing portfolio companies during this uh, entire time. And uh, for that, the assurance that you know, our group would want from us is that uh, these companies, even though uh, India is going through a difficult time right now, as is a large part of the rest of the world, uh, these guys should know that we have their backs and we are going to make sure that their Indian effort, India effort is still successful. So we are very closely working with all of these companies still and hoping uh, that they come out of this uh, even stronger. What about some of the conversations that you're having with your other co-investors, either ones that you're previously invested in or the ones that you're currently looking at deals right now? How are they thinking about the, industri- the state of the industry has that, really, has that really affected some of the investment opportunities that you've been looking at personally? Yeah, I mean, I would say the view that I've mostly expressed during this conversation has been a view that I've kind of formed uh, through several conversations that I've had with you know, my colleagues in the space. I feel um, everybody is taking a very wait and watch uh, approach right now. Uh, I think... In the U.S. specifically, what the Fed has done, and in, uh, you know, in, in the rest of the world as well, the governments have taken several initiatives. Uh, there has been a lot of stimulus, and that should help us get through the, the tough times. Uh, I think a resurgence of uh, you know cases is something that nobody can predict, but at the same time, everybody is is worried about, and that generally has people be a little more defensive in their investment approach. So I think everybody is waiting to see how how this is going to affect. In the meantime, there are certain sectors that have definitely very clearly, you know, uh, emerged as uh, uh, very very uh, lucrative during this time. So uh, 
there has been increased investment activities in those spaces, as you would have seen. Uh, I mean, we're talking on Zoom right now. They've had a very significant surge in their uh, share price since this whole crisis began. Absolutely. I was looking at a tweet this uh, morning, which which spoke about Zoom having a two fifty percent increase on their on their stock value. And I think I was looking for relevant uh, companies on that list, and I saw that Peloton was number four. Uh, given that yes. the home fitness space also has kind of expanded crazily. And we've seen tailwind for a lot of industries in, say, gaming, could be esports, could be remote collaboration tools, could be home fitness. Um, and this is, this, is, this is a trend that, or at least in my opinion, this is a great opportunity for all of these companies who are trying to go mainstream to validate and show what their products can offer end consumers and hope that it kind of sticks through post the pandemic as well. And, right. Uh, yeah, and that's, that's a great opportunity. One, one other thing that I wanted to ask you was, you usually invest in companies that are you know, international, that are not primarily based in India. So the valuations might not really be at the same level of those of Indian companies, say a Series A or a seed, or a seed um, company for that matter. How do you justify the valuations for a subsequent follow-up follow round in the India context. So say you've already taken this company and you know they've done well in India, they want to now raise funds locally, but the valuations have been a little little higher than what normal what, what normally Indian investors are used to, um, say at a seed stage or a, seed, or a series A or a series A extension rounds. Have you found that to be a challenge uh, when it comes to fundraising for your portfolio companies within the Indian VC ecosystem or are they still raising capital from non-Indian VCs in that context? In our case, I think in most instances, the companies have raised subsequent rounds from international investors or from investors, uh, you know, from the geography in which they were already situated. Uh, so, but we've had some experiences of companies looking to, uh, you know, reach out to Indian investors. In fact, we have something within our team uh, called Equitas Capital and their responsibility essentially is to make sure that our portfolio stays liquid and at the same time for generating you know exits for for the group uh, uh, from our assets uh, they help all our companies or whoever wants to essentially they help these companies reach out to an ecosystem of investors in India and in that, they try and set up a roadshow for these companies wherein they take them to a certain number of investors and essentially, you know, proposition the, the company and, and the idea and why it's expanding into India and all of that to the investor and essentially helps them raise capital. There have been some efforts that some companies have made uh, in India and there are conversations going on as we speak uh, for some of these companies to raise capital in India. But in any in all the instances that I have looked at, it's always at the same valuation at which the companies have received investments from the, you know, the U.S. market, let's say. And, and I think the reason for that is that the Indian investor also understands that this is a company not just specifically targeting the, US, the Indian market, but a company that's targeting the Indian and maybe a U.S. market or you know, a European market. So there's definitely more scope for value creation. And uh, they do reset their barometers for valuation accordingly uh, when, when they talk to, uh, when these companies talk to these investors. 
That's very interesting. Do you also do the other way around where you kind of help some of your Indian portfolio companies expand into North America and some of the other global markets that you are present in? Yes, yes. Uh, all our portfolio companies know that we have an office uh, in uh, the US. In fact, we now have offices in uh, the West Coast. Uh, and then we have an office in New York and we have an office in Toronto as well. So any company of ours in our portfolio in India that wants to expand into any of these markets, uh, we tell them, please let us know and how we can help you, you know, get connected to somebody you want to meet here or in any manner possible for us. Uh, and, and we have done that for some companies in the past. That's brilliant. I think having that cross-border synergy, you know, either side, you know, take Indian startups to the, to, to the West or bringing the Western startups into India is such a great value add, especially from an investor perspective. So I think unlocking both those opportunities for different sets of portfolios is, is amazing. Absolutely. In fact, uh, when we first uh, started our you know, efforts here, in 2016, we started something uh, with uh, Michael Moore's GSV lab called BCGS Suite. Uh, it was an accelerator which was launched to essentially give startups in India an exposure of Silicon Valley and, and help them understand you know, how does Silicon Valley really work. You know, 50% of all capital, I think, that is raised in the U.S. comes from Silicon Valley. So it really does have a lot of attraction in, to, to startups in India. Uh, so we, start, we set this up when the startups went through a cohort of four months. And at the end of that uh, four-month period, they all traveled to the U.S. and they spent two weeks here with us in GSV. And uh, some of these companies then decided to, you know, permanently shift to the U.S., or some started, uh, you know, and a part of their operation in the U.S. as well. So uh, that's definitely the idea of creating a bridge between India and U.S. While the focus, of course, remains to be, uh, you know, more U.S. to India centric uh, deals. Uh, we also look at the other side of the equation. It's actually funny that you bring it up because when I was at NASCOM back in uh, the early the 2012-2011 um, period we used to put together something called as the InnoTrek program where we would select about 50 Indian startups and then bring them to the Valley and give them an opportunity to, you know, expand and trying to learn about opportunities here. Right. Very interesting. I want to head towards the last part of the episode where I want to understand more about you as an investor and put you on the spot with some of my rapid fire questions. So if you're ready <laughs> with that, I'm going to shoot these at you. Absolutely. I'm ready, Akash. Let's go. Awesome. So I want to learn how have you changed as an investor in the last five years? I think in the last five years, uh, I have a much stronger understanding of how technology generates value for a company. And I think it only happened after I moved to the Valley and I started looking at companies that were, uh, you know, the valuations were entirely based on, on certain technology and it always uh, it was difficult for me to understand that uh, as to how, how that happens. But only after I started looking at some of those companies very deeply, I really understood what drives that value. I couldn't agree more. I've had a very similar sort of an educational experience as well. Now, what is one turnoff that y you have when you hear pitches? If, I, if, if somebody is talking to me about wanting to expand into India, and they haven't made an effort to understand a little bit of what Indian market is and how it's going to be different. I would think 
then the company is not really willing to to go on a much larger exercise of expanding into the indian market so it's very important for me to have a conversation where i know the other person at least understands the basics of the market before looking to expand into a market like india absolutely you got to do your homework and learn if your product really has a potential pmf when they're thinking about it yeah. in a new market yes what what is something that you wish somebody had told you at the outset of your career in venture capital that you wish you had you know you you know now and you want to like pass that on to somebody else who's starting their career in in investing uh new ideas uh, always sound very exciting uh, particularly in in this space uh, but uh, if not backed with very strong execution most of those are going to fail uh, i think everybody keeps telling us that uh, and you hear it all the time but you realize it more and more as you go through that journey yourself as to how important and uh, how important execution is vis-a-vis uh, -vis the idea itself absolutely again extremely funny that you mentioned that because i was looking at ankur varikur's tweet the ex ceo of nearby he posted something hmm. last night that he spoke about a list of ideas and startups that he had this is way back in 2003 and you know you could see uh ubers of the world and big baskets all part of his idea list way back in 2003 and then somebody said would money have helped you execute this and he said no it's only execution and operation and putting together a team that really would have made these ideas come into place you know money is not the question it's about do you know the market do you can you go out and execute against your ideas and that's really important and that's very synonymous with what you just mentioned as well yeah yeah very interesting yeah Now what is one sector that you don't invest in right now but you are extremely intrigued by? Mm I would say travel and hospitality uh and the reasons why we're not looking for investment in that space right now I think are abundantly clear in that covid has had a very severe impact on these uh but I think in the long run I feel there is a lot of scope uh the market in India is very very fragmented still. and there's there's definitely a uh, possibility for us to create some value there now say you have abundance of capital and you know there's no sector thesis nothing involved here no philosophy and somebody came to you and gave you a billion dollars to invest and said go out and invest in one company if possible what is that one company that you want to invest in wow <laughs> if it was that one company and if i was to go and you know if i was to pick one of the larger companies i would go with a company like microsoft i feel with satya coming in the kind of culture that the company has and the the way the company's you know transcended and changed its business business model over the last few years and clearly emerged as a leader in almost every category that it's it's in I feel I would still put my money on a company that's you know that's valued at 1.3 trillion dollars because I can I can see them uh making use of that massive Microsoft uh, you know network as well as what all they've created in the past so if you look at how teams for example Microsoft Teams has grown vis-a-vis -vis Slack uh it's amazing to see the growth journey of Teams versus Slack and how Teams is I think left slack uh, many miles behind uh, because of the fact that they already had such a large uh, you know user base and that kind of fit 
that kind of integrated really well with their existing suite of products. So I think that'll be Microsoft. I love that. I love that response because I I have very close friends of mine who work on the Teams um, team, and I've heard some great things about how they how they've scaled from zero to seventy five million users in almost under two and a half three years. And there was a great article that Verge put out a couple of uh, I would say somewhere during May nineteenth or twentieth period, where they spoke about Microsoft's you know new fluid office, which is basically Google Docs and steroids, and they're really going after all of these incumbents who have been there for a while, but haven't really evolved and kind of, you know, made their products a little more user friendly over the years. And that's an opportunity in the enterprise right. space for Microsoft to really dominate. And I think they're doing that, doing that and executing really well against that. Right. Right. Lastly, I want to ask you this, you know, what is your advice to companies who are, fundraising at this point or who are thinking about entering the Indian market, what do you want to let them know? I would say that one, it of course depends upon what stage, you know, where the company is and how important it is for the company to raise capital. But I would say if the company can sustain and and hold it on for a little longer, maybe hurrying into an investment just because uh, there are fewer opportunities out there is, is not the best idea. And I would say the same about expanding into a new market just because you might not be doing well in your existing market as well. I think it's, it's very important to look at your options and, and then just take a decision based upon what's best for the company in the long run and not be influenced by, by what's happening in the short term. That's a great note to end the podcast on, Piyush. It's a pleasure to have had you on here with us. Thank you so much for providing great insights into how Brand Capital International works and what is the investment philosophy and thesis that you have been developing over the last four or five years and i'm really really excited about you know trying to collaborate and work with you at some point and hopefully we can make an investment together as well in the next few months or maybe in the next year and that's something i'm extremely (laughs) stoked about absolutely akash thank you so much for having me it was great great talking to you thank you and that brings us to the end of our 20th episode, guys. It was great learning about cross-border investments within a corporate venture capital structure at Brand Capital International. Piyush had some great insights and perhaps the one that really stands out to me is the part where he mentions how important it is for startups to do their own research and understand the India opportunity. It's not a substitute market if your business is not doing well, but a complementary one and if executed well, could become a good revenue-generating region for a startup. Thank you again for coming on the show, Piyush. I also want to take a moment to thank you all, our listeners. I'm super grateful for your continued support and interest in this space, and it's highly encouraging for me and makes this possible. If you're here for the first time and enjoyed this episode, do check out the others as well. And... For those who haven't subscribed to our podcast, I would highly recommend you do so as we are continuing to bring some great investors on this podcast. While you're at it, do leave us a rating and review as well. It'll help others discover this show. Until next week, stay safe everyone and keep hustling.